This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Task Delegator, a new tool to help you automate, delegate, and eliminate tasks so you can achieve the double win. Download it for free at leadtowin delegator. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And today we're going to be talking about your growth and success will be determined by your capacity for discomfort. And by you, I mean all of us. This is something that I feel like we don't talk about enough in leadership. And consequently, a lot of leaders come into leadership with misaligned expectations to what it's really going to be like. So uh, let me give you a little story as an example. So a few years ago, one of my direct reports came to me and she was having a problem with one of her direct reports. She needed to do some performance coaching and she was fairly new to leadership. And so she hadn't had a lot of these conversations yet. And she was really nervous about it. You know, she was asking for advice. She was making talking points, all that kind of stuff. And when it came down to it, you know, she was just commenting to me on the fact that you know, basically she was shaking in her boots. And I was like, well, of course. And she looked at me and she was like, what do you mean? Of course. Like, are you telling me that like, this is normal? And I'm like, it's absolutely normal. In fact, if it's ever not normal, then something's probably wrong. You know, your empathy meter is kind of off track. And the reason is, is because there is so much vulnerability that is a part of leadership. Whenever you're going to do something vulnerable, which we're going to get into these things that cause us to feel uncomfortable, uh, we we experience all those emotions. We experience doubt. We experience uncertainty. All those feelings that we talk about when we talk about things like goal setting that we're familiar with, but we expect somehow magically when we're in a leadership situation that if we are quote unquote the leader that we're just going to feel confident all the time. And in fact, that's not the truth at all. And so I was sharing with her. You know, the the good news is over time you will build confidence in uh, some of these areas where you feel really uncomfortable right now, but you're probably not going to feel uncomfortable. And dad, we were talking about this over lunch a little bit. And you said, yeah, the thing that you're going to feel is confident that you're going to survive, not confident that it's going to be easy, right? And so I think that what this direct report of mine found is that you know, she was nervous on the front end. She went through the situation. And on the back end, she was more confident. And more importantly, she knew that she had grown because the next time this comes up, she had, you know, the the ability to look back and say, I've done this before now, and I can move forward with a little bit of confidence, but also with the expectation that it's probably going to be uncomfortable. Well, I have to say, I don't like this part of leadership. I know, me neither. It's my least favorite part of it. In fact, I keep thinking, when I say it out loud, it sounds stupid, but when I think about it, it makes sense. But I keep thinking I'm going to get to this point in my leadership <laughs> where everything will be so familiar that everything's comfortable. Right. And and I remember Dan Sullivan talking about one time how entrepreneurs have to be wary of this because because you know we take risks to succeed. We're used to doing that early in, in our career, but then we try to kind of create an environment where we engineer the risk out of it so right. that we can live comfortable and and once we start doing that, he said, and I think he's right, that's kind of when we start dying. Yeah. Because because this is kind of the precondition for growth. Now, I I want to see if this is if this trues up with you. So like in taking a risk, like what are the things that, believe it or not, having given now hundreds, maybe thousands of speeches, it still is always uncomfortable for me. I, I never start the preparation process for a new speech 
without thinking to myself, and it's probably not this well-formed or this clear, but but there's this sense that this time it might not work out. Yeah. You know, like totally. like this this time I'm going to get on stage and make a fool out of myself uh-huh. or I'm not going to connect. But there's always kind of that looming thing of will I pull it off this time? So yeah. as as I was telling you, I I spoke on Saturday and I got up early because I was still working on my speech and I got up at four o'clock on Saturday morning. So this is not typical for me to work on the weekends. But this was a particular weekend where I just had to do it. So it was well, and also, this was also like a church thing. This yeah, it's like a church thing. So I didn't feel yeah. good about taking you know time away from work on that. So I was working on my you know my own time. But I was up at four a.m. and I literally worked up until forty-five minutes before I had to give the speech. Oh my gosh! And and I was pretty confident. I was working methodically, and I'm constantly recalibrating, thinking, okay, I got enough time. I got enough time. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And I did make it, and it turned out great. But there was still that thing in the back of my head that said, you know, maybe this time you won't make it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so do you have that? Uh, yeah. Oh, like every day I have that. I mean, literally every day, most weeks, there's something I'm doing that I feel uncomfortable with. And I don't mean like uncomfortable, like from an integrity standpoint. I just mean I am some somewhere I am out over my skis you know, it's like in the uh, one of the Lord of the Rings movies, I think that um, Elijah Wood's character says something about like, this is as far as we've ever been, you know, and it's like, that's how I feel like this is as far as I've ever been, you know, I'm doing this thing that I've never done before. And, and I think that that we have a choice at that moment to either lean in, and that will contribute to our success, or we pull back to preserve our own comfort to avoid the feelings of vulnerability and exposure and all those those terrible feelings, and we hold ourselves back. I mean, I think that is a decision that we're faced with as leaders every day, especially if you're in a high growth context where you know growth is required of you. These situations present themselves to you day after day after day. And I think if we come to expect it, we can kind of make friends with that, and that's where we can find the path to growth. But if we fight it or we expect that it shouldn't have to be that way, then we're going to find our own growth and success, for that matter, much slower. All right. So here's a question that I feel like our listeners may be wondering, Dad. Do you think that there's any scenario in which this so-called requirement for growth, this needing to lean in to discomfort, is avoidable? I mean, is there, is there any way around this point? First of all, if there is, I'd love to find it. Right. Please email us. <laughs> yeah, email us. But I, but I think that when you get to this fork in the road and what makes it non-negotiable is the choice is whether or not you're going to grow. Mm-hmm. Because the only way you grow is to put yourself in a situation where, as you said, you're a little bit out over your skis and just think about what makes working out work, Right. what makes muscle growth happen. You know, you kind of have to take your muscles or your endurance or you're stretching or whatever it is to the point of failure. And that's when you grow. Now you've got to also, you know, surge and retreat, you know, work out and rest, but there's got to be that, that point where you go a little bit past what you're used to in order for the muscle to be broken down, to grow back stronger. Yeah. You think that's a fair metaphor? I do. I kind of like you said at the beginning, I kind of hate this. <laughs> I feel like this is actually kind of a law of the universe sort of thing that there is absolutely no way around this. You can be comfortable and stay right where you are or 
go backwards. Or you can be uncomfortable and you can move forward. But if you want to move forward, if you want to become more successful, if you want to become more effective as a leader, if you want to have more impact in the world, there is just no way around this. Well, the good thing about knowing this is that just knowing that you're not abnormal is hugely helpful. Yeah. Because when you start thinking, like I used to think, you know, kind of suffer in silence and I thought, gosh, I'm the only person that gets, you know, super scared before I step on stage or I'm the only person who has a lot of self-doubt as I begin to prepare a talk or as I begin to, you know, call on a customer or have a, I can remember the first time I had a client coaching session Mm -hmm. and I, I thought to myself, gosh, do I really have anything to contribute? You know, I don't feel that intuitive. Am I going to be able to ask the right questions? You know, just a flood of self-doubt until I started talking to other coaches and I started talking to other uh, speakers and I found out that's pretty normal. Yeah. And so then it was at least like, okay, so that's, I guess that's just, that's just part of the price you pay as a leader, but what's the benefit on the other side? In fact, I wanted to ask you this question, Megan, what gets you over the hump? Because I'm going I'm to think of a specific situation we talked about on the show before, but for, for years, you know, you, you were not enthusiastic about speaking. You were <laughs> that's scared That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, you were scared to death. But at yeah. some point you said, no, I got to lean into this and do it. And it, and it was, I don't know what the backstory, all the backstory was. I know some of the story, but what got you to the point where you were willing to lean into that and overcome what for you was kind of a primal fear of speaking? Yeah, I think it was a few things. I I think I knew that the moment had come where if I was going to lead this company into the future, it was going to require speaking. And I was either going to choose not to lead the company into the future and retreat, or I was going to just lean in and do it scared. There was not a scenario where I was going to do it not scared. I knew that. I, I knew enough to know like this is this is either be the most uncomfortable you've ever been in your life, and that is absolutely accurate to what I experienced leading up to it, actually being on stage was fine. It was the six weeks getting there (laughs) that was brutal. Um, Or I could just take a big giant step back. And I I knew that I didn't want to look back and say, I missed the opportunity to have a huge impact. I missed the opportunity to reach my potential. I missed the opportunity to be an example for my kids and for my team. You know, I I just couldn't live with that. And so that, that why was so compelling that I was willing to do literally the most terrifying thing I could have imagined. If you had said you can speak on stage to 800 people or you can swim with sharks, I would have picked the sharks every day, all day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's where I was. And I, and I think that's such a, a helpful story maybe because it, it's so extreme, you know, and most of us aren't faced with a choice like that every day. But I think to your point, having a sense of what's at stake if you don't do it is helpful in motivating yourself to lean in. So I feel like there are essentially three areas that we have to embrace discomfort in in order to succeed. Um, You've already, Dad, kind of talked about the first one, but I think we could unpack it a little more, and that is taking risks. You know, this is probably the one that we think of most naturally when we talk about uh, discomfort in leadership is taking risks. But what do you think is so difficult about taking risks? Because in some ways, this comes very naturally to leaders, especially um, entrepreneurial leaders. Uh, but what is it, do you think? I think it's there's always the possibility of failure mm-hmm. that's looming out there. And it's not just failure, but it's kind of an unknown failure. In other words, you don't know how right. big it's going to be or what the damage is going to be. You just know there's the possibility of, of failing. And so, you know, I had a a situation last week, Megan, that you were 
well aware of that we did a we did a big webinar <laughs> for Business Accelerator. Yeah. And you know, I had worked to be honest, I'd worked my butt off getting ready for this. It was a it was a big deal. And about I mean the first the first indication there was trouble was that I couldn't bring your video signal in. Right. So you were in a different location. And so I tried to bring your video signal in and it was just really, you know, jaggy, laggy, you know, you would freeze at times and all that. So you said, okay, well, dad, let me get my car and I'll run over to your studio in your house and we'll just do it together from there. So I quickly revamped all the slides and all the stuff that I was doing and got ready for that. And then you came over and then we started it. And so we, we went for about 15 minutes and this is the first time this has ever happened, at least that I can remember, in eight years of doing webinars, probably, you know, a couple hundred webinars. Right. But it, the total thing just crashed and burned. It, it was, was an awful. utter epic tech failure. Yeah. Right? I literally had to say to people, and we had 400 people on the, on the webinar at the time, I said, guys, I don't know what else to do. We're just going to have to shut it down and reschedule. And, and so that was like my worst nightmare. I was humiliated. I was embarrassed. I felt like, you know, I'd prepared for this. I'd prayed about it. I did everything. And then it was this epic fail. Well, that wasn't actually the hard part. Uh. The hard part was that we said, if, if we had said, okay, let's reschedule it for a week from now. Mm -hmm. Well, then I'd, I just knew I would have time emotionally to recover and I'd be my confident self and I'd go into that, you know, thinking, okay, this was an anomaly, but I'm okay now. But no, we looked at the calendar. We worked with our, you know, team and we said, no, we got to do it this afternoon. So like this, the failure happened at about 1030 in the morning. And we said, we got to reschedule for two o'clock this afternoon. Now I'd kind of used up all my confidence, oh. you know, in the first one. Yeah. And now I'm feeling like I'm totally unconfident. I'm not sure if the tech is going to work. And I was scared spitless. Mm. You know, I just thought, man, is this going to happen again? I wasn't confident in the, in the tech. I wasn't confident in myself, you know, all that. But thankfully, you know. We went forward and it felt like a non-negotiable. You know, I just, I, we had to do it. So I did it and it was kind of flawless. You know, the tech worked beautifully. And for whatever reason, once I, I got into it a few minutes, my confidence came back and then I stopped thinking about failing. And then I find this every single time. Once I take that first step, take that first leap and actually get into it, like even get it on stage, I might be scared till I get on stage then I'm totally my element. You know, I I love it, but it's getting there. It's taking that step, crossing the transom that's the scariest part. I think that's true. And I, I think what you said about being humiliated is key. There is a vulnerability to taking risks because there's so much unknown that is the real hook here. The reason that we don't do this is because the potential for being humiliated, that kind of ambiguous sense of vulnerability, like you're exposed in some way and, you know, you may get hurt, uh, is so out there. And I, you know, you talked at the beginning about how oftentimes we avoid taking risks the more successful we are. You know, we avoid it maybe early in our career because we don't have a lot of confidence yet. Then we get a little confidence, we take more risks. Then we, later on, we, we have an inclination to stop. And I think that's because the vulnerability is greater. There's so much more to lose. Yes. You know, in your case, how many bajillions of successful webinars have you done? And people know that, right? So like to have everything fall apart, it's not like, oh, well, it's his first webinar, bless his heart. You know, no, it's not your first webinar. You know, you're known for doing these amazing webinars and to have it fall apart in your hands, 
the consequences of that are greater at your professional stage than it would have been eight years ago when you hadn't done one ever before. Well, and this is where I think we have to, as leaders, reframe failure. Yeah. And even humiliation. Yeah. Honestly, it's a good thing when it happens occasionally. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing worse, and we've all met these people, who seem to have one success after another, have never really been tempered by failure. And that's also something I don't want. Right. You know, I, I, I think being humbled periodically is a, is a very good thing for your soul. That's true. And, and it's good for the people that you lead because it keeps you in contact with, you know, in touch with empathy, mm -hmm. which is something you need as a leader to be effective. So, and you know, I mean, I know that there were a lot of people and I, I got emails from people that said, man, it was so great to see you fail. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> not happy that you failed. I, I hate it for you, but honestly, it made me feel better about myself. Yeah. It's true. You know, I experienced this also, this, this sense of vulnerability around risk-taking, especially when I'm taking a risk to present something that I'm thinking about that's really from my heart. You know, if it's like kind of something from my head and I have a lot of analysis around it and, mm -hmm. you know, if that feels much less vulnerable, it feels much less risky. I've really kind of worked to engineer the risk out. Um, but when I'm going to share a new project, you know, I've got a, something I'm working on right now that eventually we'll share if we decide to move forward with it um, here on the podcast. But if, if we decide to move forward with that, you know, this is something that is coming out of a deep place in my heart. And, you know, like when I shared it the first time with our team, I thought, I don't know what they're going to think about it. You know, are they going to laugh? Are they going to think it's stupid? Are they going to think like she's totally not connected to reality? You know, it turns out they, they loved it. But I didn't know. And so that there's that moment of decision of like, am I going to share it knowing that if I'm rejected, that feels different in this situation because this is so personal to me? Or am I going to, to just say, no, nah, I don't think I'll share it. I'll just, I'll wait for a better time, you know, yeah. or I'll wait to have a little more confidence and avoid it. So that that's kind of for me. In fact, when I do, I often have this physical sensation. This happens to me a lot where I get like really flushed on my neck. I get hot. You know, it's, it's like my body manifests the vulnerability that I feel. I hate, I'm like, at least my face doesn't flush, but my neck flushes all the time. If I'm like passionate, nervous, excited, hot, what, it doesn't matter. You know, so I'm just, I'm just trying to say like, for all of you guys listening, this is like what it's like, you know, nobody talks about this stuff, but we need to talk about it. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned this because I think that the only way we push through these kinds of obstacles, this fear of failure, and actually do the thing that we fear is we have to have a bigger reason on the other yes. side of the obstacle yep. that, that that has to be bigger than the obstacle. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we're not going to do it, yep. right? So uh, I was just thinking, and, and I don't want to teach a Bible lesson, but there's this great story that most everybody's familiar with, whether you're a Christian or not, of David and Goliath. Mm -hmm. And if you actually look at that passage, so David's this young guy, he's sent by his dad to check on his brothers who are kind of stalemated with the Philistines. And there's Goliath, you know, he's this giant and this champion, and he just keeps taunting the Israelites. And so David goes around and he says, okay, so what's the king going to do for the guy that defeats Goliath. And so they say, oh, well, he's going to get to marry the king's daughter. He doesn't have to pay taxes. And I can't remember what the other thing was. It's like, he's going to get a bunch of money or something. So David's like, okay. So he like literally in the text asked three times, what's going to happen to the guy that kills Goliath? And I and I always, I don't know if this is, this is the case, but it, it seems like he's looking for 
a reason that's bigger than the giant yep. to take the giant on. And he finds it and he goes out and he kills Goliath. But I think it's a great, great metaphor for what happens to us. We have to find the bigger why yep. that'll enable us to take on the giant. And that giant looks different for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if you're in sales, it's cold calling. Yeah. Maybe if you're designing a product or creating a course that you want to sell online, you know, you don't, you just have never done it before. Maybe it's the technology that's the giant or thinking about hiring people and you've never supervised people. That's the giant. Whatever it is, I think you've got to get a bigger reason that lies beyond the giant if you're going to have sort of the fortitude to take it on. I love that. It's so practical and and so true. I've had that happen so many times and hopefully that's helpful to you guys listening. There's a musician named Bill Wirtz, whatever. He's kind of quirky, whatever. And he has a web. He doesn't use social media as a website that people just ask him questions on. It's like it's like the most basic site ever. And somebody asked him a couple of days ago, "How do you stop feeling imperfection?" And he has really jokey answers. And he said, "Try doing just one tiny thing bad, just to get a taste uh. of it." And I really, I, I was really struck by the deliberate nature of that response, which is like, mm-hmm. just do the bad thing. On unre- if the stakes are always so high and you can't feel like you can fail, then why would you ever try ever? So the idea of going, I'm going to go paint today. I'm bad at paint. I'm going to just go do it and go, right. oh, this is fine. <laughs> like, that yeah. just doesn't great. feel bad. I think uh, G.K. Chesterton said, if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is kind of helpful in this case. Another another version of that is, don't worry, be crappy. <laughs> yes. I think, there, I think I had a singing fish with that at one point. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> Okay, I think another area where we have to embrace discomfort, and we really don't talk about this, is accepting negative feedback as leaders. This is a really tough one because most leaders are going to default to creating a culture around them where they intentionally or unintentionally insulate themselves from negative feedback. You know, they don't want to hear it from their team. They don't want to hear it from their clients and customers. They get angry about it. They push it off in some way. They ask to not see it, you know, and and they really want to avoid this. But man, you cannot grow if you don't have constructive or sometimes destructive criticism. Well, this is very present to me because over lunch today, you gave me some negative feedback. Oh, that's right. I did. Yeah. About a situation. But I think... One of the things that's helped me is God gave me five strong-willed daughters <laughs> who are not afraid to speak their mind and a wife that's not afraid to speak their mind. But it's but it's always challenging. You know, I mean, I mean, naturally, I want to defend myself. Yep. You know, I want to say something like, oh, but you don't have the full context. Mm-hmm. You know, let me, let me just explain and then you'll see that the negative, negative feedback that you're offering me isn't warranted. Yep. But the truth is you miss the opportunity to grow when you do that. And I think, you know, I've learned over time. Sometimes I do it better than others, but I've learned over time to just kind of get quiet and try to see it from the other person's perspective because I realize that, okay, here's an opportunity for growth if I can receive this. And what if this were a gift? And I think so many leaders don't have it framed as a gift. Nope. They see it as a threat. Yeah. And so when somebody is sharing some negative feedback, they think all of a sudden their identity or you know, what they've they've done is at risk here or at fault, and they feel the need to defend it. But if somehow you can kind of separate your behavior from our identity, and like in that particular situation, Megan, when you were sharing it with me, I, I thought, well, I mean, I didn't think of this consciously, but it's, it's that's not my identity. That was a behavior. Yeah. And Megan's exactly right. And I, I need to change. Yep. 
Well, it's funny because um, I think it is so natural to fight this, right? You are going to have everything you said just come up. So I think part of what we're trying to do here is help calibrate people's expectations of what's naturally going to happen, but then give you an alternative. And so your natural impulse is going to be to be defensive. But I'll I'll tell you what, when I see people who encounter negative feedback uh, and then watch them respond, it tells me a lot about their character. It tells me a lot about kind of their strength internally. It tells me a lot about who they want to become, you know, because you'll see a, a really stark difference between the people who take a deep breath and they have a conversation in their head and they choose to lean into that and the ones who make it all about saving their reputation as if somehow there's a scenario in which people will never think you do anything wrong. You know, it's kind of like an unexamined expectation um, that really gets in the way of growth because the the truth is if you're taking risks as a leader, if you're being innovative, if you're taking initiative, you are going to make mistakes. You're going to make calls that are wrong or misguided. Uh, You're going to hurt people's feelings. You're going to say things that are, you know, inappropriate for the moment or whatever. I mean, it's it's just going to happen. And I think if we can expect that and then be grateful when people come to us to help us see it so we can stop making that that mistake, you know, what I want to see in people is not people not making mistakes. I want to see people not making the same mistakes over and over exactly. again. Exactly. You know, I, I have no expectation that people are going to be perfect. But this is a definite one that is uh, that we win it by having a conversation in our head that's helpful instead of unproductive. Well, I think the really game changer for me is realizing that when I accept negative feedback, that it makes people actually think more highly exactly. of me, not less highly. Because I right. used to think, like, for example, if if uh, when we were raising you girls, you know, if I let my anger get the best of me or I said something offensive or whatever, you know, offended you in some way, I thought, well, if I admit that, they'll think less of me. But the truth is they've already thought less of me right. because of the behavior. <laughs> You know, the only thing that can actually repair it is for me to admit it. And then all of a sudden, the the esteem goes back up, the trust goes back up, and you have a chance to even bond in a tighter, closer way. And the same thing is true with the people on our team, you know, because they they see the problem and we're the only question is, do we see it? Yeah, it's kind of like the emperor has no clothes, right? You know, like the only person not aware that there's a problem is the person in question. Everybody right. else is aware of it. And, you know, if you can can accept that. I mean, my esteem goes up for people exponentially when they take responsibility after they're presented with negative feedback. I mean, oh my gosh, it, it's like it's, it's like some kind of catapult for your position in the organization because it just shows that you have the maturity to handle your own failure in the moment and kind of be with yourself in that. I mean, it, it's a, it's actually a powerful tool for advancement. And by the way, this is true at home and this is true at work. You know, I I think you and I were talking about not long ago that I can remember growing up and I hated to admit when I was wrong. I mean, it was just like personal defeat, you know, like I I just, I hated that feeling of failure was so powerful. And then I became a parent (laughs) (laughs) and I started failing all the time as many parents do, you know, on a, on a daily basis, at least I have the opportunity to ask someone for forgiveness for something because when you have five kids, you know, there's just lots lots of opportunities for growth that are presented. And, you know, what I realized, like, just exactly like what you said is that when you are in a position of power and you take negative feedback from people who are in a lower position than you, 
That's huge. It is huge in terms of people's trust and respect for you. We had a person on our team last week who stepped up in Slack, as you recall, and took total ownership for this specific fail and said, look, this was a failure of my leadership. Yep. I promise you, you know, his his value to everybody shot up. Totally. Because he was willing to own it. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's just amazing. You know, I, I think that this is one of those underappreciated areas that if you can leverage and learn how to tolerate the discomfort of accepting that negative feedback and then come up with a great responsive ownership, it's one of the most powerful things you can do for your effectiveness. And you might have to pep talk yourself. Oh, you you will have to pep talk yourself. Right. You, you know, will. just like, okay, I'm not going to resist. I think I think we did an episode on holding space, which we're, yeah. where we talk about this. So we'll link that in the show notes. But I think that's a very valuable concept to just take a deep breath, don't react, be very thoughtful about what you say next, but just kind of receive, take the full hit, internalize it, see if there's any truth to it, admit what you can, and then move on. Yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, this is when when someone comes to me with negative feedback, which is pretty frequent, my conversation in my head is breathe, relax your face, relax your body. Don't say anything yet. Still don't say anything yet. Listen. Old. Old. <laughs> I mean, I, that's literally <laughs> what's in my mind. I'm not kidding you. That conversation is happening in my head every single time because my impulse is to scowl, to stop breathing, to try to like find my moment to interject and defend myself. And so I have to be my own coach in that moment. Here's another example where this helps me, you know, and that is, let's just say that somebody comes to you and 95% of it is bogus, misinterpretation, they didn't get it right. But if I can own the 5% or the 1% and not fixate on the 95% that's bogus, I'll grow as a leader. That's right. So what's, what's the grain of truth? What's, what's the element of truth in this that I can own? Because if I can own that, you know, I'm, I'm going to grow. And and being defensive just it's just not helpful. Doesn't look good on anybody. No, it's not. It's kind of like the old saying: you want to be right or you want to be happy. It's like, do you want to be right or do you want to be successful? <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? exactly right. Okay, so you said there were three yeah. areas that we need to embrace if we're going to succeed and if we're going to grow. But three areas that we need to embrace where we need to embrace discomfort. Yeah. What's the third one? The third one is leading uncomfortable conversations. Ah, oh, this is another hard one that I. Never, um, <laughs> never relish and uh, always am glad when it's over. But in so many different contexts, you are going to need to initiate hard conversations with people, whether that's about their performance, about something you know they're not going to like, an organizational change of some kind. And in these conversations, you're going to have to step out, usually on your own, in vulnerability to say something that the other person is going to find hard to hear. And your instinct is going to be, again, as we've said now many times, to retreat, to talk yourself out of why you can do it later or how somebody else could do it. And the truth is, you are the one to do it. You need to have that conversation. You probably need to have it now. And uh, it's not going to get any easier by waiting or by putting it off. In fact, it's probably going to get worse. Um, and you know, I feel resistance every time I have to do this. And I probably have one to three uncomfortable conversations every week. Okay. So I got to ask a question yeah. because I've noticed a big difference in your leadership in the last year and particularly the last three months. 
Okay. So I, I feel like you've got gotten more confident, more willing to enter into those tough conversations. What has shifted for you? Well, I think the biggest thing that have shif- has shifted besides just the challenges of 2020 and the fact that all of us had to have way more uncomfortable conversations than we've ever probably had to have, right? Um, I mean, it's just that was what was demanded of our leadership. Somebody had to do it. And it was probably you. And it probably had to happen pretty frequently. So I think that was that was just a great um, accelerator for growth all by itself. But I think the other thing that I realized that was a hard realization for me is that when I avoided the conversations that I avoided and plenty of times that happened, I did it out of selfish reasons. I did it to keep myself comfortable and I did it at the expense of the people who needed to hear what I needed to say. And that's not wow. out of, that's not out of arrogance. Like oh, I'm so important. You know, it, it's just that whether it's uh, talking with someone, a uh, direct report about how what they gave me, you know, wasn't quite what I needed or really wasn't what I needed in that moment, or talking to the team about tough decisions that we had to make, or, um, you know, plans or whatever. The the reason that I wouldn't do it is because I hate the feeling of being uncomfortable, right? Who likes it? It's a terrible feeling to wonder, how is this going to be received? Are they going to get angry? Are they going to leave? You know, what you go through all those what-if scenarios in your mind, and, and then you can very easily talk yourself out of it. But instead, what I have really, I think, learned to do and am learning to do more and more, I want this to be something that is becomes my default, is when push comes to shove, I'm going to stand for the greatness in the people that I'm leading. Okay. So that right there, I think can make a huge difference. Yeah. And that is how you view the people right. that you have to have yes. the uncomfortable conversation with. Yes. Now, I learned this first from my coach, Eileen, yep. who since became your coach. Yep. And, and she talked about this with me because I said, how do you go into these big corporations where she was an executive coach and you're talking to a guy that's running a multi-billion dollar company? Mm-hmm. And, and she said to me, she said, well, first of all, I think I have something they need to, to hear. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, I'm taking a stand for their greatness, not who they are, but who they could become. Right. And third, and I thought this was the most powerful, I don't see them as fragile. Yeah. And I think that that too often we see our kids, or we see the people that we work with, you know, we think to ourselves, well, they can't handle this. So, so we're not as direct as we should be, or we beat around the bush, or we never have the conversation, and we dr- deprive them of the opportunity to go to the next level, not because they're fragile, but I think if you really look at it, it's because it's a deficiency in our, our view of our own ro- role in their lives. It's actually that we think we're too fragile. Yeah. You know, we're sort of like projecting all this stuff on them, but actually it's what we think about us. We don't think we're great. We're not standing for our own greatness, and we think we can't handle it. And the, and the way you deal with that is you act like you are, and you do it anyway. That's right. Take it till you make I it. I mean, there's no way around it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish there were. And, and and every time I've gone into one of those conversations, an uncomfortable conversation, and I think I can say this, you know, pretty much batting a thousand, I've never come out of one of those conversations sorry that I brought that up. No, never. You know, it's a, it always goes better than I think. And it's just, it's again, like that, that whole thing with Goliath, you know, you make the giant so big in your mind mm-hmm. that it becomes almost an unconquerable force, something you can't get past. And again, what you've got to do is get fixated on just past the obstacle. You know, what's the reward for them and for you if you can have this conversation? What would happen if that person who's not delivering according to your specification or they drop the ball, if they could go to the next level? What would that make possible right. for them? What make would it make possible for your company? Totally. And 
just expect it to be uncomfortable. You know, like feeling confident and full of courage is not a prerequisite for having hard mm-hmm. conversations. That's exactly I right. I mean, you do not have to feel the way you want to feel to do what you need to do. And that is really freeing, actually. I think that's another big thing for me. When I realized that I could do all kinds of things that I needed to do and did not feel like doing, that that just broke open so many so many areas of my life because it's just, it's not necessary. You know, you will feel confident once it's done. You'll feel proud of yourself and courageous when it's done. You're not going to feel that on the front end. You're going to feel anxiety. You're going to have sweaty palms if you're me. Your neck's going to be all red, you know, and you're just going to have to go on anyway. <laughs> and and that's just part of it. I remember one time I heard um, Brene Brown talking about how when she went into the conversations like this, she talks about this a lot. I always appreciate her willingness to be transparent, um, that she makes notes. You know, so she goes into a conversation that's hard and she has talking points. So if the other person gets emotional, if she gets emotional, she can kind of use it as a compass to come back to and find her true north again so she can successfully get through the points that she needs to say. You know, it, it's our practice at Michael Hyde and Company. Thankfully, this doesn't happen very often. But if we have to terminate somebody, we go into those conversations with talking points. We know exactly yep. what we're going to say. Everybody has been briefed on it. You know, the, the hiring manager, the HR director, everybody knows what's going to happen. There's a, a clear approach because when anxiety is high, when emotions are high, it can be easy to kind of forget what you wanted mm-hmm. to say or what you need to say. Um, and so if you have that, it can give you some confidence in that process. Okay, just to wrap this up, one of the things that I think is so important as a leader to learn about yourself is to come to the place where you can say to yourself, you know what, I can do hard things. Yeah. And I think that's a gift that we can give to our kids, you know, help them to do hard things, because that's what gives you true confidence, not kind of phony confidence, but a real confidence, the the ability to know that, that whatever comes your way, no matter how difficult it is, you can handle it. Doesn't mean you won't have all the usual emotions of fear and uncertainty and doubt, but you can do hard things. You can get through to the other side. And 90% of it is just willing to take that first step, cross the transom and put yourself into that situation. Well, guys, I hope that that's been helpful for you. I hope our <laughs> candid revelation of all the, the areas where we need to lean into discomfort has freed you in some way to embrace that for yourself, along with the growth that comes with it. Thanks for being with us today. And until next week, lead to win. And 90% of it is just willing to take that first step, cross the transom and put yourself into that situation. What a great use of the word transom. That, yeah. That was really well done. Thank you. Thank you. Word of the day. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Task Delegator, a new tool to help you automate, delegate, and eliminate tasks so you can achieve the double win. Download it for free at leadto.win slash delegator.